0: When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Health Lock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com.
3: Before we start the show, just a reminder to share, like, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And please give us a five-star rating. It helps us beat the big tech algorithm. Also, if you love Red Pilled America, please consider supporting the show. You can buy one of our 100% Made in America products. We have hats, candles, a book. That's right. We wrote a book. Or you can become a backstage subscriber. Well, you'll have access to our entire archive, and you can hear the behind the scenes of each episode, along with Patrick and I arguing over who's a better storyteller. Or you can just make a donation. To support the show, please visit redpilledamerica.com and click support or shop in the top menu. That's redpilledamerica.com and click support or shop in the top menu. Support what you love or it goes away. Thanks, everyone.
0: previously on Red Pilled America.
3: Netflix had a serious head start their recommendation algorithm was getting better and better.
2: In the next eight years, at every juncture where they had to make a decision about where the entertainment industry was going, they were right and the studios were wrong.
0: By creating and fine-tuning their recommendation algorithm for almost 15 years, Netflix understood the wants and desires of their subscribers in a way the studios could only dream of knowing.
3: As the years progressed, Netflix appeared to have the Midas touch.
0: Their ratio is is astonishing. It's the envy of any Hollywood studio. Are algorithms controlling American lives? I'm Patrick Karelchi.
3: And I'm Adriana Cortez.
0: And this is Red Pilled America, a storytelling show.
3: This is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories.
0: Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear.
3: Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the globalists ignore.
0: You could think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing, the truth. Welcome to Red Pilled America. We're at the finale of our three-part series of episodes entitled The Algorithms. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, stop and go back and listen from the beginning. We're looking for the answer to the question, are algorithms controlling American lives? By telling the story of the clash between two algorithms, one made by Netflix and the other crafted by one of the most powerful companies in the world. So to pick up where we left off, Netflix's success in original content was the envy of Tinseltown. Where Hollywood studios had trouble picking a winner, Netflix produced one hit show after another, In just 20 years, Netflix went from a floundering DVD rental by mail business to surpassing the Walt Disney Company's annual production budget. It was an astonishing, almost unbelievable feat. By 2020, Netflix had tallied over 200 million subscribers. The company was having unprecedented success largely by using their powerful algorithm to mine the likes and desires of their audience. But in the midst of this success, Netflix began to take a noticeable left turn. For anyone paying attention, it was an odd development. From the early DVD days, Netflix was popular with Middle America. And in its first original content series in 2012, Netflix appeared to make an attempt at being even-handed. I mean, Kevin Spacey's House of Cards villain character was a Democrat, But as the years progressed, the company went woke. What happened? How did Netflix go from having the Midas touch to instead touching a cultural nerve? Well, The answer is surprising. Netflix's algorithm appeared to come up against an even more powerful algorithm crafted by a social architect looking to manipulate American culture. To understand how this powerful algorithm was able to force its will on Netflix, we first have to tell the story of its creator.
4: When I was growing up, the United States was launching the Great Society, which thought to summons the resources of government to wipe out poverty. That's Larry Fink.
3: Larry was born in 1952 to a well-to-do Jewish family.
4: My mother was a college professor. My father owned a shoe store.
3: He was raised in Van Nuys, California, a suburb of Los Angeles.
4: And at 10 years old, I was required to learn how to sell shoes and help my father. Well, I learned how to deal with people pretty early in my career, and uh, it was a great learning lesson how to deal with people, how to appeal to people's needs, and, uh, and I was a pretty good shoe salesman
3: that Larry would grow out of his father's shoes and go on to create, arguably, one of the most powerful algorithms in existence. Larry Fink came of age in the 1960s at a time of great political turmoil.
5: There's a time
1: when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, and you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be
2: prevented from working at all. The war between the sexes could become an Armageddon if we don't get on with our revolution. But if we do get on with it and we restructure society to make equality really possible, then I think the war between the sexes will end and for the first time we will have possible true human sexual liberation.
1: The chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Stokely Carmichael, came forward with a new explosive
6: phrase. There are three terms that black people in this country should learn at first. One is white supremacy, One is
1: neo colonialism and one is black power. power!
3: power! Radical feminism, the black power movement, Marxist college uprisings, gender bending long haired hippies. The political upheaval of the 1960s captured many an idealistic youth, and Larry Fink was no doubt intrigued by the power of these radical cultural movements to force cultural change. Like many who want to make a social impact, Larry first looked to politics. He went to UCLA in the 1970s and received a BA in political science. But he'd eventually realized that politics wasn't what caused societal shifts. He'd later land on the key mechanism that caused social change.
4: To achieve what we're trying to do is, it's about talking about culture every day. There's not a day in my job, there's not a business trip where I visit where I don't focus on culture
3: but it would take a fascinating career journey before he'd land on that conclusion. By the end of his college life, Larry Fink left politics and instead ventured down a path that would lead him to his profound impact on culture, the world of finance. After graduating from UCLA in 1976 with an MBA in real estate, Larry was encouraged by a professor to interview with New York investment banks. He secured a gig in the mortgage bond department of First Boston. And this is where Larry began his journey to cultural domination. By taking wild gambles and risky bets, Larry became one of the highest earners in the firm generating over a billion dollars by pioneering a new type of financial product, something called a mortgage-backed security. Larry Fink would later recall this fast-moving time.
4: We were making so much money, and we had no idea why we were making so much money. We had just extraordinary risk, and there was no risk systems then, and nobody bothered to ask us
3: How are you making so much money? By the age of 28, he became the youngest partner at First Boston, and he was being talked about as the future CEO of the company. But his gambling would eventually catch up with him.
4: And the firm gave me a lot of responsibility at a very young age. And for many years, I achieved what they asked me to do, and then I didn't.
3: He made a mistake that would change the course of his life. Thinking that interest rates were going to rise, Larry Fink had his traders take a huge stock market position based on that prediction. But by 1986, it became clear that Larry's interest rate prediction was wrong.
1: Tonight, the American people deserve our
4: thanks for 37 straight months of economic growth, interest rates cut in half.
3: Interest rates didn't increase. They were reduced dramatically. Larry Fink's investment gamble went bust. After his meteoric rise, stacking win after win, his team lost $100 million on his prediction. Larry went from a hero to a zero in a matter of months.
4: I was just mortified at myself. Let's be clear, the failure wasn't anybody else's but mine. And the firm wanted to fire a bunch of people for that loss. And I told the firm, you need to fire me then. And If you're gonna fire them, fire me, and they wouldn't do it, so everybody stayed by the way. But I did believe that because I was ultimately responsible for that position, and I never forgave myself.
3: He didn't forgive himself for not understanding the risk associated with his investment positions.
4: But it took me a year and a half to try to search what I wanted to do. And it was very clear during that year and a half, not only did we not understand the risk, there were so many other companies that really didn't understand the risk. And most importantly, the buy side, the investors had no idea the risk they were taking. And there was a great need for a company that starts off with a high concentration in risk analytics.
3: Larry Fink never wanted to go through that fiasco again. And he knew others in the investment world were also playing the same dangerous game. So he wanted to create an investment firm that centered around risk analysis and management. But he needed money to get started. He approached an investment firm and pitched the founders on his idea.
4: I told the story to Steve shorten and Pete Peterson, and they loved it, and they, they had more confidence in me than I had myself. They wanted to go right ahead. In
3: 1988, they gave him $5 million for a 50% stake in a bond investment firm that focused on risk management. The company would eventually be called... BlackRock. Larry Fink started off with a very small team.
4: So when we started the company with eight people in one room with no business, 25% of the hires were technologists.
3: Their initial approach to risk management was simple. Each day they'd take risk report printouts and meticulously flip through the pages, comparing the company's investment portfolio on that day to the day before, searching for unstable areas. Their risk analysis was done entirely by hand, but this simple manual auditing practice delivered phenomenal results.
4: We actually started making money within two weeks.
3: By the following year, the assets under BlackRock's management grew from zero to 2.7 billion. By the end of 1992, they were managing 17 billion in assets. Things were going good but Larry Fink was about to implement an idea that would send the company into the
1: stratosphere.
0: When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Life is short. It's important to surround yourself with people you love, do the things that make you feel happy, and if you're me, eat delicious licorice. I've got the latter covered thanks to fresh and delicious licorice from The Licorice Guy. If you're an avid listener of RPA, then you know that licorice is my jam and that it does not get any better than the gourmet licorice made by The Licorice Guy. They have a great selection of flavors to choose from, like red, blue raspberry, black, and green apple, just to name a few. The freshness of their licorice is unlike anything you've ever tasted in licorice before. If you haven't tried the Licorice Guy yet, then you're living a life unfulfilled. Trust me, you will not regret it. What I also love about the Licorice Guy is that it's an American family-owned business. We're big proponents of buying American and supporting American workers. Right now, Red Pilled America listeners, get 15% off when you enter RPA15 at checkout. Visit LicoriceGuy.com and enter RPA15 at checkout. That's LicoriceGuy.com. Welcome back to Red Pilled America. So after losing $100 million from risky investments, Larry Fink launched BlackRock in 1988, an asset management firm that focused on investing in bonds from a risk management perspective. His team would meticulously compare the day's investment portfolio against printouts from the day before. And this simple analysis delivered remarkable results. From 1988 to 1992, the assets they managed grew from 0 to $17 billion. But Larry Fink was about to implement an innovation that would send the company into the stratosphere. In the early winter of 1993 a BlackRock analyst had an idea. Instead of printing out and reviewing their entire portfolio by hand, why not take the data, sort it into a database, and then have a computer compare the report today versus the report from the day before across every single one of the company's stock market positions? It sounds logical today, but this was 1993. The first widely used web browser wasn't released until that same year. Everything BlackRock analysts were doing was largely done by paper. But with technology advancing, Larry Fink's analysts were looking for shortcuts. And it was this simple insight that led to a monumental innovation. Well, Larry loved the idea, and he decided to move forward with it. They called their new algorithm Asset Liability and Debt Derivative Investment Network, or Aladdin for short. And this new algorithm produced startling results. The firm went from managing $17 billion in assets right before the creation of Aladdin to a whopping $53 billion by the end of 1994, just a year after creating the algorithm. Larry Fink was now one of the first in the industry to rely on an algorithm to make investment decisions. To continue BlackRock's staggering growth, Larry wanted to offer more stock options to attract talented analysts. His original investment partner, Steven Schwartzman, didn't want to dilute his own ownership stake. So he rejected Larry Fink's plan. A feud developed, and Larry decided he needed to part ways with his original investor. In 1994, he found someone to buy out Schwartzman's stake in BlackRock for $250 million. Larry now had complete control of the company. And it must have been scary, because that same year, Aladdin's algorithm was going to be put to the biggest test of its young existence by General Electric. Over a decade earlier, famed American executive Jack Welch became CEO of General Electric, or GE. Under Jack's leadership, GE entered new industries such as media and finance. In one acquisition, GE purchased respected securities firm Kidder Peabody & Company. But soon after the acquisition, Kidder Peabody was caught in an insider trading scandal. A few years later, accounting fraud was added to their troubles. Jack Welch realized that the firm was infected by a culture of corruption. And by 1994, he decided he wanted to sell the company. Kidder Peabody were holding some valuable assets. but they were mixed in with a large number of complicated financial assets called mortgage-backed bonds. Jack Welch found an investment bank that was willing to purchase the company's healthy assets, but didn't want the toxic part of their portfolio. So Jack needed someone to help weed out these toxic assets so that the investment bank could purchase what was left. No one on Wall Street wanted to take on the job of finding the junk. No one except Larry Fink. You see, the type of assets that Kidder Peabody held were right in Larry's wheelhouse. He'd pioneered the creation of mortgage-backed securities, and his Aladdin algorithm had been churning through data in the global bond market for several years. If anything could find these toxic critters in Kidder Peabody's investment portfolio, it was Aladdin. So Jack Welch hired Larry Fink to separate out those bad apples and sell off what was left. It was the first real test of whether or not Aladdin truly worked. For days, his team of analysts used Aladdin around the clock to comb through the data, repackage the valuable assets, and sell them off to the investment bank. To everyone's astonishment, the algorithm pulled off the complicated task. It was a breakout moment for Larry Fink. He gained the reputation as the financial doctor that could cut out the cancerous elements and guide a company to health. Through the mid to late 90s, BlackRock continued to feed Aladdin data on the global bond market, and the algorithm became smarter and smarter. Aladdin got so good at picking winners and losers that BlackRock began selling access to their data to outside firms. The company continued its staggering growth, and the industry began taking notice.
2: His open secret to success is a massive computerized system called Aladdin, which can instantly monitor millions of trades and analyze outcomes for millions of portfolios based on even slight shifts in the economy.
0: In 1999, as Netflix was still floundering around, trying to find a business model that worked, BlackRock went public. By the end of the year, It was managing $165 billion in assets, and the company was well-positioned for a building Wall Street catastrophe.
1: It's described as nothing short of breathtaking, a points drop never before seen on the U.S. markets. This closing bell might as well have been an alarm, so Savage was the selling.
0: Dot .com bubble burst, investors looked to shift their money away from internet stocks and into the safety of low-risk bonds. A tsunami of capital flooded into the very domain that Larry Fink ruled.
5: In 2001, 12 years after the launch of BlackRock, Fortune referred to that company as perhaps the greatest success story on Wall Street in the past half-decade.
0: By 2004, BlackRock was managing nearly 400 billion dollars in assets. Two years later, the number bloated to an astronomical size.
5: With the recent merger with Merrill Lynch, Larry oversees the management of more than $1 trillion in assets.
0: Aladdin was helping Larry Fink gobble up Wall Street firms at a jaw-dropping rate. And the algorithm was just getting started.
3: By 2008, Larry Fink was thinking about something that had captured his mind, going back to his college days, culture.
4: So we have now over 5,000 employees, we have 500 investment professionals, we're in 18 countries, and this is a problem. And the problem is how do you mesh an organization to have one common culture? How do you mesh an organization that have a common belief that leadership in Taiwan can think and act no differently than leadership in Melbourne or leadership in New York? So. The core of any organization and certainly a core at BlackRock which we commonly discuss is the foundation of culture.
3: The timing of this realization couldn't have been better because the influence of BlackRock was about to rival entire nations. You see, a financial product that Larry Fink pioneered was exploding within the banking system and Larry must have known it was coming all along by 2008, Aladdin had been analyzing stock market risk for 15 years. After analyzing trillions of trades, his algorithm was becoming more and more intelligent and powerful. It had become so good at analyzing risk that it allowed Larry Fink to largely avoid the perils of the toxic asset he pioneered, mortgage-backed securities. And his firm was about to cash in on the chaos.
5: The Dow tumbled more than 500 points after two pillars of the street tumbled over the weekend. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy.
3: In September 2008, the banking crisis hit the global economy. It was thought to be the worst financial crash since the Great Depression. And it wasn't long before leaders in the finance world honed in on the source of the crisis. It was mortgage-backed securities tied to real estate. Basically, the investment portfolio of banks were littered with bad loans, and these toxic assets were taking them down. There was really only one man that understood how to pull the economy out of this mess, and it was the same man that created these complex financial products, Larry Fink. And as an expert
2: on mortgage-backed securities, he was called in to help and to clean up with people like Hank Paulson and Jamie Dimon and Tim Geithner on speed dial.
3: Tim Geithner was the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury.
2: I read a note that said there was a day in which Geithner called him 21 times in a day.
3: Larry Fink helped
2: engineer a
3: remarkable rescue for the financial industry. It was BlackRock's algorithm that decided which banking assets should be saved in the massive U.S. federal bailout package. And other countries turned to BlackRock for help as well. Japanese and European central banks used Aladdin to help decide where their country's bailout money should go. Larry Fink was becoming the savior of Wall Street for rescuing an industry from a financial product he'd created.
6: We are talking about Larry Fink. Larry is the CEO of BlackRock, the man who they say seems to know it all when it comes to the U.S. financial crisis because he's in charge of sorting out a lot of the mess that has gone on in the last one and a half years. In the
3: wake of the financial crisis, Financial News named Larry Fink the CEO of the decade. By 2014, BlackRock continued gobbling up other investment firms. It ballooned in size, managing $4 trillion in assets, making it the world's largest asset manager. And it was around this time that Larry discovered a hidden power amongst all of the companies he'd acquired. Each trading asset, asset management, and investment firm that he acquired was running on separate computer platforms.
4: And when we acquired Malim in 2006, we were surprised that it had 18 operating platforms. And and then we acquired in 2009 uh, BGI, and it was considered one of the preeminent investment firms. iShares was a part of that. It had over 100 different technology platforms. Because every little business had its own little silo and technology and they didn't connect.
3: What Larry Fink wanted to do was consolidate all of these separate platforms into one overarching algorithm that governed all of BlackRock's assets. Aladdin would be that single platform. And by doing so, Larry Fink could begin to craft one common culture throughout his entire multinational company.
4: What's so important about Aladdin for us was we have one technology pipe. Worldwide, that connects everything we do at the firm and everything from client connectivity to all risk management worldwide is under one common platform. Having one singular pipe, 100 countries worldwide, of everybody believing in having one pipe, and that's important that everybody culturally believes that we have one connective tissue that's connecting the whole organization and information, that actually builds culture too. So to achieve what we're trying to do, it's about talking about culture every day. There's not a day in my job, there's not a business trip where I visit where I don't focus on culture. And all the other leaders do that. And we obviously try to live that culture that we talk about. So it's not some... B.S. conversation that's touched on a wall. It's how we live every day.
3: Larry Fink was creating one common culture across his entire company, a company that reached into every industrialized capitalist nation in the world. But the twist was that BlackRock was not a normal run-of-the-mill company. It was the firm that leaders of finance, leaders of nations, turned to to decide what a good investment was and what was not. And this is where things got interesting. You see, the Aladdin algorithm had become the central nervous system for many of the biggest players in the global investment management industry. What BlackRock deemed a safe investment was now considered safe globally. And what it considered a risky investment, well, let's just say that smart money stayed away from any company BlackRock deemed risky. By achieving this global status, by basically becoming one of the primary operating systems of the entire global investment industry, the architect of this algorithm could begin to impose his beliefs on any and every corporation tied to Wall Street, including streaming services like Netflix. All he'd need to do is redefine what it meant by the word risky.
0: When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com.
4: Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake up call.
3: Then become a backstage subscriber. Just log on to redpilledamerica.com and click join in the top menu.
0: Backstage subscribers also get ad-free access to our brand new video podcast called Fam Boogie. Fan Boogie is the place where we help you bypass the entertainment gatekeepers. We talk about pop culture, woke Hollywood, drama in the media, and great movies, TV shows, and podcasts, all as we guide you towards content that the Hollywood gatekeepers try to bury. Go to redpilledamerica.com right now and click join in the top menu.
3: Join today and help us save America one story at a time. Welcome back to Red Pilled America. I'm Adriana Cortez. So by 2016, the Aladdin algorithm had grown so influential that it had become one of the primary operating systems of the entire global investment industry. The algorithm was interpreting which investments were safe and which were risky. Practically everyone in the finance world was influenced by its output. Aladdin had become to Wall Street what Microsoft Windows is to your personal computer or what the Apple operating system is to your iPhone. Aladdin touched a massive portion of the global investment market. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink recognized this new global power, and he was about to use this newly acquired status to impose his woke beliefs on any and every corporation tied to Wall Street. All he had to do was to redefine what the word risk meant, and there was a new woke movement in the investment world that would help him in that effort.
0: Just as Aladdin was rising to supremacy, a concept was also infecting portions of Wall Street, a concept known as ESG investing.
6: Causes like protecting the environment or promoting social equality haven't always been factors considered when evaluating investments. But an approach to investing called environmental, social, and governance investing, or ESG, is changing that.
0: ESG investing is an attempt to change the definition of what it means to be a risky investment. For as far back as the eye can see, investors have always had a very traditional set of parameters of how they invest their money. Things like, are the people or company I'm investing in reliable? Is their business returning a legal profit? Is the return on investment in company A as good or better than if I put my money in company B? Things of this nature. The investment community has survived and thrived for hundreds, even thousands of years on traditional measures of investment risk, while ESG investing looked to change all of that by adding a new parameter.
6: You might hear other terms used for ESG investing like socially responsible investing, sustainable investing, values-based investing, and impact investing. What these terms have in common is that they describe an approach to evaluating investments based not just on traditional measures of financial risk and return but also by factoring in their effect on society and the world. This may include selecting investments based on a company's environmental impact like pollution and animal welfare, social impact like human rights or fear compensation, and governance factors such as having a diverse workforce, executive team, or corporate board. However, ESG investing is about more than just investing with a clear conscience. Some investors believe that companies with high ESG ratings have the potential to outperform those that do not.
0: The concept of socially responsible investing is not new. Like many bad ideas, it was born in the 1960s and was soaked in good intentions. Back then, activist investors would exclude stocks or entire industries from their investment portfolios based on a business's activities. Things like if they produced tobacco, alcohol, or firearms, or if they benefited from the South African apartheid system. But it wasn't until 2004 that a coordinated campaign was launched to inject ESG investing into the entire international financial community. It came from that diabolical global body that seems to cause so much trouble in the world, the United Nations. In 2004, former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan invited CEOs of some of the world's most prominent financial institutions to participate in a UN global initiative. The goal was to integrate socially responsible investing into the world of finance. A year later, the initiative published a paper entitled, Who Cares Wins?, In it, the group argued that integrating environmental, social, and governance factors, ESG factors, into capital markets not only led to a better society, but would also result in higher profits. ESG investing was born. The report was packed with scientific charts and expert opinions, the same type of marketing materials that the UN has published to argue for global warming legislation. It was obvious to anyone paying attention that ESG investing was just another way for the UN to force climate change policies on corporations. But it wasn't long before the far-left activist portion of Wall Street could see that ESG investing could also force corporations to adopt the entire woke agenda. And they got to work. In 2006, the New York Stock Exchange launched an organization to develop ESG principles. The following year, the UN launched another initiative that encouraged and monitored ESG investing throughout the global capitalist system. Industrial leaders didn't pay it much attention, but as the years progressed, the industry began to take notice. And it was largely because Larry Fink used this new movement to impose his values on the entire investment ecosystem. And how did he do this? Well, remember, BlackRock is the firm that defines whether an investment is safe or risky. Larry Fink began to argue that if a company didn't adopt these ESG values, then maybe the company was no longer a safe investment. Maybe they were even a risky gamble. Risk was redefined, and this new definition started to become encoded into the analysis of whether an investment was or was not attractive. Companies began popping up that gave corporations an ESG rating. They measured a company's impact on global warming, whether they had an ethnically diverse board of directors and management, whether they were putting a socially conscious product into the world, and so on. If the company received a high ESG rating, they were successfully implementing socially responsible practices, and as a result, they were a safe investment. But if the company received a low ESG rating, not only were they failing at being socially responsible, they were now a risky gamble. The incentive for companies to start implementing ESG into their culture began to rise. the investment community snapped back, arguing that their sole responsibility was to maximize shareholder value, an argument that was backed by the law. But the pressure for corporations to start implementing ESG into their company's culture became undeniable when BlackRock began publicly promoting the ESG
6: mantra. Let's flash back to driving a car 15 years ago. Drivers would use rear and wing mirrors to merge, reverse, and park. Today, thanks to advancements in technology, we have cars with cameras, collision warnings, and parking sensors. These evolved safety features give drivers a more complete view of their surroundings, helping them make better decisions. The same thing is happening with investing. While traditional financial analysis still anchors investment decisions, the greater availability of sustainable data today gives investors a more holistic view of the companies they invest in. Sustainable investing uncovers environmental, social, and governance, or ESG related risk and opportunities that traditional security analysis may overlook. By giving investors a more complete view, sustainable investing can help identify companies that may be better positioned to manage sustainability related risks.
0: Now, if you wanted to be viewed by investors as an attractive investment, ESG values had to become a part of your corporate culture.
3: This paradigm shift was all happening right around the time that companies like Netflix began to take a hard, woke turn. As you may remember, when Netflix first got into streaming, its algorithm was helping the company decide which shows to produce. It gave the company that insight by mining the likes and desires of its subscribers, and because of their algorithm, Netflix became the envy of Hollywood, producing one hit show after another. House of Cards, The Crown, Stranger Things, Narcos, Ozark. But around 2018, the streaming service began to put out some pretty woke shows. Access to abortion is good and important. Some people say abortion is killing a baby. It's not, it's stopping a baby from happening. It's like Back to the Future and abortion is the DeLorean. (laughs) And everyone loves DeLoreans! The timing was likely no coincidence. BlackRock had recently become a major investor in Netflix, and earlier that same year, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink published a letter that was a warning shot across the bow of corporate America.
2: I want to put a question to all of you.
3: I think we can all agree that a
2: corporation has a duty to maximize returns for their shareholders. But does a corporation also have a duty to society? That is a question that is at the heart of a letter our speaker recently sent to all of the major CEOs in the United States and others around the globe. In the letter, he says that the public expectations of your company have never been greater. I mean, I'll just quote an exact line from your letter. Every company must deliver not only financial performance, but also show it makes a positive contribution to society. He closes with a subtle but unmistakable warning to hold them accountable for not only doing well, but also doing good. Now, not everyone can credibly make the threat, but our speaker tonight is Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which is the largest financial asset manager in the world with six trillion dollars in assets under management. Now, I want that to really sink in. Six trillion dollars. That's considerably larger than the proposed federal budget the president just released
3: today. What he was basically saying was, corporate America, support our ESG woke agenda or lose access to our massive investment funds. If you've ever wondered why corporations in a capitalist country would do and say so many things that would turn off half the nation, you can thank ESG Investing. If they don't virtue signal, they lose access to trillions of investment funds managed by companies like BlackRock.
4: One other thing that you've been outspoken on, and that's environmental, social, and governance. ESG investing. We've been very aggressive in building out analytics and data so we could look at uh, and review and judge companies through the lens of better understanding of how companies move forward in a decarbonizing world.
1: So this letter you think is the
5: most important letter you've ever written. I believe the companies
4: that have purpose are the best companies in the world because it unites their employees, it connects the clients, but most importantly, it, it brings the organization onto a common plane. And I think that's very vital. And, I, you know, and I, you know, the best companies that I know of are the ones that work towards a purpose. Because so many of us use the internet for communication. You have ability to do word analysis related to every company. Most companies have blogs. You could go on blogs and find out what is the opinion of a company.
3: And it wasn't just corporations that would feel the impact. The new pressure would trickle down to Americans at large.
4: So this ESG stuff is really being utilized to control Society
3: Executive Director of Consumer Research Will Hild saw BlackRock's power move as an end run around the legislative process.
5: BlackRock has been the leader and in some ways the ringleader of all of Wall Street in pushing something called ESG investing. But really what ESG is, is an excuse for Wall Street to push politics into corporate America. They can push in their own environmental policies, they can push in social and governance policies that could never be achieved at the ballot box. But BlackRock uses the nearly $10 trillion of assets they have under management. Uh, That's not their money, it's it's, state, local, federal pension funds and, and other institutional money to push politics into corporate America.
3: BlackRock and Woke Wall Street use ESG investing to force their woke agenda on corporations. If corporations don't get a high ESG rating, BlackRock will label them a risky gamble. Investment money could dry up, sending their stock price tumbling. In essence, BlackRock is using the same playbook as big tech. If you don't adopt their ESG values, you effectively get kicked off of their platform and lose access to the trillions of investment dollars they manage. That's what corporations began to face and it was all being enforced by BlackRock's algorithm. Aladdin was quickly being considered as more powerful than traditional politics. Understanding this new force in America illuminates the outcry over Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, The Closer. The drama over Dave Chappelle's transgender jokes was actually a clash between two algorithms, On one side was Netflix's algorithm pushing the streaming company to produce a show that was popular with their subscribers. And on the other side was Aladdin's algorithm incentivizing corporate America to enforce its ESG values. There wasn't really a broad outcry over Dave's transgender jokes. Only a few dozen out of thousands of Netflix employees actually walked out in protest. Today, several dozen of Netflix's
2: thousands of employees walked off the job demanding the company better support its
3: transgender workers. The entire outrage was a corporate media fabrication, fueled in large part by this new ESG paradigm. Publicly traded corporations are now incentivized to incorporate woke ESG values into their company culture. Because the higher their ESG rankings, the better the company will look to BlackRock's behemoth risk management algorithm Aladdin, which in turn opens the investment world to their company. So, the entire corporate media ecosystem is incentivized to incorporate wokeness. They hire employees that align with this woke agenda. They put woke products into the marketplace. And when someone ventures outside of the authorized boundaries, the media mob is unleashed. When Dave Chappelle was attacked for his transgender jokes, it wasn't really a widespread public outcry. It was a corporate media pressure campaign hell-bent on enforcing this new ESG window of allowable speech. And in the eye of the storm, it appeared the comedian himself understood the nature of the attack.
6: I want everyone in this audience to know that even though the media frames this, that it's me versus that community, it's not what it is. Do not blame the LBGTQ community for any of this shit. This has nothing to do with them. It's about corporate interests and what I can say and what I cannot say.
0: Which leads us back to the question, are algorithms controlling American lives? The answer depends on who you are. For immoral, ignorant, dependent men and women, the answer is yes. Algorithms not only control them, those types of people actually are the dangerous algorithms. They are the real-life extension of the code, the human enforcers of the algorithm's creator.
6: We didn't care what Dave Chappelle was doing until you come for our community.
0: What people need to realize is that in a sense, we... All of us are the algorithm. We are the ones that choose to act on these ridiculous tasks algorithms whip us up into performing in the real world. There's a
5: lot of argument that algorithms cause arguments and cause strife. All this stuff that people are saying, like, oh, the algorithms are tearing us apart. Like, no, we're tearing us apart.
0: Algorithms can be written to control our behavior, but we can also use algorithms against those that try to control us. When Aladdin's ESG algorithm came for Dave Chappelle, the Netflix algorithm pushed back, the people pushed back, and the ESG algorithm was defeated.
6: You have to answer the question, am I canceled or not?
0: So the next time you hear that woke algorithms are controlling our lives, don't fear. Because in reality, woke algorithms don't stand a chance against moral, God-loving Americans.
5: Netflix has changed
4: its internal memo warning employees that they may have to work on harmful content and that viewers will decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censored diverse content. The new memo goes on to say that if employees feel that their work is perceived as harmful to them, then Netflix may not be the best place for them to work.
3: Red Pilled America is an iHeartRadio original podcast. It's produced by me, Adriana Cortez, and Patrick Karelchi for Inform Ventures. Now you can get access to our entire back catalog of episodes and our behind-the-scenes podcast by becoming a backstage subscriber. To subscribe, just visit redpilledamerica.com and click Join in the top menu. Thanks for listening.